Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. Father God, we just come to you today. Thank you, God, that we can be in this room, that we can gather together, that we can open Bibles, God, uninterrupted, Father. That in open, we can come before you and praise you, God. That there's nothing hindering us, God, coming to the cross today. Thank you, God, that we can come with open hands or outstretched hands, God, or just open hearts, God, and we can worship you uninterrupted with no obstacles between us. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Amen. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. We're in a series today. This is part three of an unknown how many parts of Ephesians. And we're doing uh, for the next foreseeable uh, months or weeks or whatever, we're going to be studying and tearing apart and dissecting the book of Ephesians. We've already kind of gone over this section, which is verse 3 through 14. It's one continuous long poem. We've talked about that for the first two weeks. And, but today, I really want to hone in on just these two verses, verse 9 and verse 10. Unifying all things in heaven and earth. God was just showing me some really cool stuff about this, and I'm excited to get to this today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was all good. It was sinless. It was pure. The sum of these two areas, heaven and earth, was known as Eden, God's kingdom here on earth. And I think we have uh, slides that we can throw up that first slide, Randy, when we get a chance. Man had vocation. He had relationship. He had full blessing and provision from God. But most importantly, he had unobstructed opportunity to be in the presence of God. So in the cool of the breeze, God would come and walk the gardens. God was here, earth and heaven together. An equation that you can say it as heaven plus earth equaled Eden. Everybody say that. Heaven plus earth equals Eden. I hear one high-pitched voice back there, and I'm very thankful for whoever. Yes, Dylan, owning it. That's me. That was awesome, man. God's presence was fully here. Nothing could go wrong. And then it all went wrong. This is pretty much the plot line to any, like, kids thing, right? In Fantasia, you have Mickey Mouse. The, the guy goes away, and he starts stirring that magic pot, whatever, and the brooms and the mops come alive, and pretty soon it all goes to pots, Right? In the book Steganona, there's this pot, and she tells the hired servant, don't touch the magic noodle pot. And he touches the pot as soon as she leaves, and pretty soon everyone's evicted because of all the noodles coming out of the pot. If you don't know, I have three very young kids, and so this is the stuff that lives in my brain all the time. But if you watch TVs or movie shows, this is pretty much the version that always happens. As soon as the parents leave, and the teenagers are home by themselves, and in control, and in authority, what happens? They crank up the music. I know you do that, Dave. And they have a party, right? And everything goes wrong. Sin muddled everything up. Here we were left in authority and the reflection of God's very presence. And we invited sin to take a seat in our heart. Sin muddled everything up. 
sin messed it all up. In the next slide, Randy, you see that God can no longer, he will not inhabit or tolerate evil. And there is a separation in humanity between God, between man, and not just relationally, between heaven and between earth. And you see that man is kicked out of Eden, out of the place of full provision, out of the place of full relationship, out of the presence of God. And earth and heaven are separated from each other. Sin did this thing, and we still see it today. We find ways that humanity is so incredibly divided, whether it's politics or skin color or just Coke people versus Pepsi people. We will find any means to find disunity amongst each other. But it's not just us. Sin doesn't just separate humans relationally. It separates the very cosmos. The heaven and earth are disconnected. But why did this happen? Kingdom can be divined as the place where the king's authority is carried out. Within the proximity of the kingdom grounds, the king's will is executed and exercised. You know, the place that we went last week was a church that we talk about often. They were hosting a pastor's conference in Portland, Oregon. And so we went there, and I will say that the people of Portland are incredibly gracious because I was driving in terrible, very, very bad. Like, I, I was just a new town, and there was all these lanes, and I didn't understand. But one of those things is that apparently the bicycles and scooters have as, just as much authority on the road as a car. And so you're driving downtown, and there's cars and bicycles just right in front of you, right left to you. you got to merge with all of these oncoming traffic, something you don't see driving through the cornfields on the way to Sycamore. And I realized that there's a different governance in Portland than there is right here in my hometown. And so the will of that authority is exercised and gives the people that live there the right to do things that they might not be able to do in other places of the earth. Are you following with me? When God placed humanity in Eden, he placed them there in his image to be a bearer of his power. We were there to dominate or take dominion of the earth. But a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, that we traded the blessing away for beans. We traded that authority away when we took the snake for his word. We transferred that authority given to us from God to Satan. Do you realize that the ruler of this present time of this earth is Satan? Ephesians 2.2 says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. In John 14.30, Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. And when Jesus is being tempted immediately after being baptized in the river, you go to Luke 4.5-7, it says, The devil took him up. Revealed to him all the kingdom of the world in a moment. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just worship me. If you look around the world in your life right now, you'll see that things are falling apart and it begins to make sense when we realize the one calling the shots are in control of much of this world is under the authority of Satan right now. He's the illegal right to exert his will and has been doing pretty well at it. 
We talked a few weeks ago in Genesis 6 how we went and filled the earth, but we didn't fill it with God's presence and God's authority. We filled it with violence and with sin and with corruption. I think the next slide, Randy. And you can see that heaven and earth were separated, and all of a sudden earth is just filled with all of these things that cannot participate in the kingdom of God. And so there's the separation from the divine and earth. If you've been tracking with me and you've been following along, you maybe are not feeling very hopeful right now. Maybe this wasn't the exciting, you know, give us the energy to live our weak message that you're hoping for, but stick with me, okay, because it, it, it is coming. If you really to think about this and to look around, you would look at our government and our culture and the things that the people are doing to each other, you might just feel like it makes sense of where is God in all of this? The violence, the pain, the abuse, the suffering around us makes it seem like Satan is thriving and in charge. Now, this is Amy and I's first time to Portland, and it was interesting observing this really, um, this dual, duality of universes that are coinciding in Portland. And we got a chance to see the sunrise, and we got a chance to go, the coast is really close, and so we just drove out there and got to put our feet in the water and look at all these things, and it is incredibly beautiful. We got to drive through the country just a little bit and just see all of nature and just see all of these trees and forests, and it's so, so green. Before we got there, somebody we were talking to said, yeah, Portland is just green. And it makes sense. Like, we go everywhere, and it's just so green. It's almost like if you took Chicago and just put it in a mountain and just put forest all throughout it. It's just this town interspersed, and it's just beautiful, incredible. But at the same time, amidst all this beauty, there lives pain and suffering. As you're driving around, you can see, and from what I've been told by people, it's, it's been a stark increase the last couple of years is that homelessness is at a, at a high in Portland right now. And you drive around and you see these tents and people in carts and see them on couches and, and you just see the despair in their face. We, were walking, we went to Goodwill, which obviously everybody does on vacation or getaway, right? You're going to go and check out the book section of Goodwill. And so we were there. And so we were in line and just ah, Portland must be a very just well-read people because we got... I, I'm not going to say how many, but we got a lot of books that we had to make our bags very heavy on the way home. And so we're sitting there in the checkout lane, and a person, a couple people in front of us has this huge handful of stuff and clothes, and they walk right out the door. And the guy says, hey, stop. And he just keeps on walking and walks away. And the clerk behind the counter says that happens a couple times every single day. And talking to one of the pastors there, they said the last two years showed us the inner version of Portland, and it came out in all of its self and made itself fully present. And I'm not shaming or putting down Portland right now. It was an incredible trip. There's this, there, and also the churches there are doing an incredible work, just an incredible work amongst the population and people there and thriving and growing. But there's this interesting thing of where you have this beauty all around, but Right in the middle of it, there's pain and abuse and suffering and sadness and despondency and depression and all of these things that makes you say, where is the kingdom of God in this? What is happening? And you see the beauty of the treescape, but you see the people living on the street and you think, where is God in this moment? 
to plagiarize Joseph in the Bible, but God. Genesis 15, 20, 50, 20. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. If you've studied the scripture at all, or know any of the Old Testament through the New Testament, you know that God never gave up on us. We talked two, three weeks ago about how he predestined before time even began, before he, you were even born, before you were even thought of, that he chose that no matter what, he'd find a way back to loving relationship with you. God has chosen to find a way to keep relationship with us. So we can look around and see all of the bad things around us, all the pain right in our own lives and think, where is God? What's the point of this? And if it wasn't for but God, then we would be hopelessly lost. This is the moment, and remember again, I have three kids under six. And so this is the moment in Cat in the Hat. The Dr. Seuss book where the cat has come and he's unleashed thing one and thing two. And they've done all these games and they've torn the house apart, ripped it to shreds. Mom's in the driveway. Doom's imminent. And Cat pulls out his miraculous cleaning machine that goes and sets everything right. But God. Ephesians 1, 9-10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and in earth. Before the cross, we still had moments in times where God's presence dwelt on earth where heaven and earth coincided. And I think that's the next slide, Randy. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that he'd never left us. In the Bible language, it says he'd never forsake us. If you followed with us in the summer series, we spent almost two months walking through the story of Abraham, looking at the ways that God was reestablishing covenant or promise with us, his people, through one man, through one nation, to bring Jesus back to us. It's easy to think of heaven and earth like a three-story house or a two-story house. You see earth on the middle and heaven upstairs and then hell in the basement. And it's kind of easy to think maybe what we do here on earth determines if we go upstairs or downstairs. But the Bible more so gives us this idea of spheres of influence or authority. And so this picture, what it helps you do is see is that even though earth was filled with violence and corruption... In the Old Testament, we see times where the kingdom of God intersects with heaven. And in the temple, through sacrifice, through ritualistic cleansing, we had a way to be in God's presence. The kingdom was here on earth. Not some future place that we go when we die, but present right now. And so you saw God's people have to work very hard to cleanse themselves, to make themselves right, to make themselves acceptable, to take away all sin, to be able to come and walk in God's presence. But for us, it gets a lot easier because we live in a post-Christ nation. And Jesus came and he gave the sacrifice of the cross that cleanses sins permanently, 
Colossians 1, 19-22, he says it this way, For in God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Before Christ, God would dwell in holy places. Moses in the burning bush or Jacob in the stone where he had the dream or the temples where he would inhabit the tabernacle where his presence filled it. Moses where he'd go up Mount Sinai and be in God's presence. It would come in certain places at certain times. But now in Christ, God dwells in us. Scripture talks about how he says he came and dwelt with men because he takes up residency through the cross. And so you see, Jesus made these pockets of the kingdom of God available to us because he took all the sin. He absorbed all of that so that we could live into God's kingdom, into God's presence right here on earth in the middle of all of that beauty, in the middle of all that suffering, all that pain, all that anxiety, all that worry, all that financial trouble, all that sickness, all that physical pain, all of that relational distress, whatever that is for you, whatever that is of the kingdom of Satan versus the kingdom of God, whatever those things are going on in your life, Jesus cleansed the whole for those things so that when you say yes to God, yes to Jesus, his presence is accessible to you. The cross created a pocket for the kingdom of God to come and live among his men and women, his people, that we can inhabit, that we can be with God in the kingdom of God by Jesus' sacrifice. God's kingdom has taken back permanent ground in the cross and through us is living up with, through us living into his will, the power of the cross is that it replicates itself filling the earth with more and more pockets of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king, or it's the fulfillment on earth of God's will. God is using Christ not just to unify creation, not just to unify us relationally, but all of creation. Frank Gabelin from the the commentary He says it this way, the mission of Christ extends beyond the human race and it assumes cosmic dimensions. See, Jesus is not just coming to unify us to God and us to each other. He's unifying heaven and earth. All things will be unified through Christ, including this present time. You see, God's will He allows us right now there to be a void of it in earth. He allows us to choose whether we participate in or live out of his kingdom. But there will be a time where their choice will be taken away. And God's kingdom will be fully present here on earth. And the picture we get for that in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 is the new heaven, the new earth, where there's no death, no tear, no suffering, no sorrow. It's a new Eden that God, through Jesus, is restoring back to us. The garden has become a city, and we're allowed to live into it. 
I hope you're seeing how beautiful that is, is that on the future, everything would be for destruction. But God, through Jesus, came and is, has a moment out in the history, a moment out on the horizon, something that's coming to restore everything through Jesus. God is bringing Eden back. All was lost but God. But to go back just a few verses and to reference the beauty of nature and the sadness of the human condition, it's very obvious that the kingdom of God is not fully present right now. We currently live in a place known as between times. God's kingdom is near, it's here in part, but it's not yet whole. Present but not full. God's future kingdom is present in Jesus and through us as we do the will of God. As we do the will of God's kingdom, it takes residency here on earth. This is where we get Jesus' prayer. He says, pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom becomes more present as God's will is accomplished. See, it's not that when we say yes to Jesus and we become a Christian in the moment of salvation, God's kingdom does not become present. It's when we align ourselves with the will of God that the kingdom of God becomes forward and comes present. The people are not the kingdom. The people live within the kingdom. I right now am a... Uh, I take residency here in Illinois. I, I am on my driver's license that says I live in Illinois. And so when I flew to Portland... I didn't all of a sudden, every step I took, claim that land for Illinois. I live in the kingdom of Portland. But when I came back here, I lived back into the kingdom or the presidency or the authority of Illinois. When you work and live into the will of God, it brings his will forward. But the reality of the kingdom of God is that it is so easy, Right? It's just like so easy to be a Christian and not sin and do all the right things. And when your kids mess up, to give the right response. And when that person cuts you off, to not be mad at them. And when you're late for work, not to rush your kids and to show up to church on time. And it's just so easy, right? <laughs> if it's easy for you, we need to have a talk because I need your secrets. Because I don't know about you, but it's hard for me. It is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life is to continually press into the kingdom of God. It does not come easy, but it is the only thing worth living for in my life, honestly speaking to you. At the wedding we did a couple weeks ago, I got invited to, do, to uh, officiate, and so in that I got to share a short message. And any premarital counseling I do, whatever, I always have this illustration uh, the first session, if there's a big triangle and the groom is on one side, the bride's on the other, and you put God at the top. If you focus and prioritize on God, you move up towards God, you will naturally draw closer to your spouse. But if you prioritize anything else and imagine it as a farther point on that triangle line, you move farther away relationally from each other and farther away from God. When you prioritize God and you move upwards into God, you move further into the kingdom of God and you further and closer into relationship with other people. It's the only thing worth living for because it encompasses everything else. Love God with 
all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and all the laws are fulfilled in this one commandment. Love God with everything you have. When we see the suffering and the pain around us, we immediately realize that if you took a second to internalize that and feel that, that there is a throbbing or a longing inside of you. When we saw the people in less than desirable situations, when you see a child getting uh, uh, hurt, when you see an animal that's just been struck, you, you have a, internally you wish something would happen to fix that. You have a longing inside of you. When you experience pain, you have a longing to fill it. But you know, the interesting thing about pain is that you can mask it. You can numb it. You can distract yourself from it. Last week, and I know I'm using a lot of illustrations from last week, but sorry, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. Last week, I, I, I didn't twist my ankle, but I kind of hurt it a little bit. And from all the walking to the airport and we're out in the trees and stuff like that, it, just, it, it kind of was a little bit more sensitive. But what I noticed is that during the sessions and during the day when we're listening, taking notes, figuring out dinner plans and walking and talking with people, I didn't really uh, consciously was aware of my ankle. But then I get to the Airbnb at night and I'd be sitting there and my foot would just start throbbing because the ache and the pain isn't going to be masked for long. All of us because we're made by God, made for him, have a longing and a deep desire that can only be fulfilled by God. But you know this and I know this because I did it. I've done it. I do it all the time. Is that so often instead of giving in and prioritizing the kingdom of God, prioritizing God, moving up and forward, I look at all the other things that could distract or numb the pain. And we realize very quickly that no relationship fills the void in our heart fully. No bottle, no pill, not another slice of cake, not another exercise program, not another movie, or an iPhone, or a new shirt, or house, or car, or having kids, or sending kids to college, or grandkids. Nothing, nothing, nothing will fill the God-sized void in our life. We were made for him, by him. And until we give in to the desire to pursue the presence of God, we are left with a longing that will never be fulfilled. I'm going to read three quick quotes to you from three different authors that it all kind of brings us into perspective. John Mark Comer says, What would it look like to reorientate your life, my life, our shared life as community around the kingdom of God, to make that the priority, not a priority, the priority. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were not made, is that we were made for another world. And Francis Chan, in his marriage book, he says, our marriage problems are not really marriage problems. They're heart problems. They're God problems. Our lack of intimacy with God causes a void that we try to fill with the frailest of substitutes like wealth or pleasure like fame or respect, like people and like marriage. Even good things can be stumbling blocks when they distract us from prioritizing the kingdom of God in our life. Even a good thing like a marriage, even a good thing like serving as a volunteer in church, even a good thing like giving money to the poor or to charity, all of those things can distract, can numb can cover up the internal pain and longing in our heart, which is to be in God's presence, to be in his kingdom. 
the kingdom of God, once you taste it, once you see it, it's an experience that you will desire to have and chase after the rest of your life. Nothing can compare to living in the presence and the fullness and the completeness of God's presence. God's presence comes, God's kingdom expands as we partner with him in doing his will. Matthew 13, 44 says it this way. Jesus says it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The truth that he's pointing at is that there are so many things in the world that want to take our time, take our priority, take our attention. But there's only one thing that's worth it. And it's worth getting rid of everything else if you can have that one thing. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, then all the other things will be added to you. But if you don't get the first thing right, it all starts getting messed up. And it all starts not feeling like we thought it would. And we just feel this longing and discontentment in our life that only God can satisfy. Why is it so hard to live into the kingdom of God? You know, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Nellie, she's two. And she's just figuring out how to reach things that are out of her reach. She's figuring out that she can pull her toy car or her, uh, you know, a chair from the dinner table or stepladder up to the counter and reach things that she could not previously reach. And so the other night at dinner, she did this, and she got on the counter, and she was grabbing a pack of gum. I said, Nellie, no, put that down. And she did it, good girl. So we went and ate dinner. And then after dinner, she's back at it, hands in the, on the gum, lid open. Nellie, no, put it down. You're not having gum. Okay, yes, Dad, puts it down, puts it back. I'm doing dishes. I turn around maybe three minutes later, and I see her quickly popping two pieces of gum into her mouth. What happened next is a sermon on parenting that we do not have time for today, but maybe we'll get to later. But the point is this, is that we are easily distracted and forgetful people. I'm in my personal reading plan right now. I'm just in the book, going through the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is just time and time again of God's people forgetting to be in God's presence, forgetting to prioritize God, forgetting that worshiping anything else hurts and takes away from the kingdom of God. And time and time and time again, they would get into trouble, get into warfare, get into oppression, and say, God, help us. And God would send a judge, and he would save them. And then the whole pattern repeats. We are no different, church. We are exactly like them. Forgetful, easily distracted, pursuing the thing that's a quick fix versus the long obedience towards Christ. That promises the abundant and the full life, the satisfying life that every single one of us deeply longs for. The presence of God, the kingdom of God living out in our lives right now. We're going to go just a smidge long today. It's been two weeks. You probably guessed that. I've got a lot to unpack in my heart. i got to ask a very honest question right now. How many of you like it when somebody tells you there's a bat in the cave or your zipper's down? How many? Just seriously, put your hands up if you like that kind of gut-level honesty. 
okay, this may not go the direction I thought then, seeing the three hands go up, but we're going to do some of this anyways. Church, I feel strongly that we need just an honest, reflective moment, not only just in our own lives, but as a church in Huntley, Illinois. Prioritizing the kingdom of God is something you must come back to again and again and again. It's the reason we preach the same verses and the same ideas because we are people that easily forget. People easily distracted. People easily pulled away by the things that promise to be more. Those things look like a variety of things. Those things look like uh, sports clubs on Sundays or I'm just too tired from traveling or jet lagged or uh, the weather even. Where we're, I want to preemphasize this or I want to preface this by saying this is that a few things I'm about to say is you voted me in as your pastor. And I believe that my role in this house is a father of this house. Supposed to lead, pray, serve, but protect and cover you as a, child, as a parent would to any of their kids. Can't tell you the number of times my dad, I had to call him and say, hey dad, car's broken down, you just come pick me up. Or dad, I'm a little bit shy on money, can you spot me a couple bucks? Church, before COVID, if you went to a church one time in a month, people would assume that that is your church. Post-COVID, post the pandemic, that number, number has doubled. If you show up to church every six, seven, or eight weeks, you're considered a normal and consistent attender. In the last year of being here in this position, I've realized how much the weather has an effect on our church attendance. I've realized how every single week there's going to excuse to not show up at church, whether it's a holiday or the last weekend before school starts or you're just traveling. And I travel. I get it. I travel. I was gone for the last two weeks. But here's the thing is that I do not want to spend my time. I do not want to lead a church. I do not want to spend your time just making our lives busier. I don't want to fill it just with programs and events that are good. I want to live with the people. I want to move forward with you into Christ-likeness. There's so many things that we've talked about over the years of moving into that image and version of Christ and honestly some of those things might have outpaced our church a little bit we might have been too fast in the leadership here of talking through some of those things before our church was ready for it maybe some of those things we talked to frustrated you because it feels like you could do that but how could I practically do that with juggling my life and being so busy and having all of these demands on me Maybe it's not even selfish. Maybe it's not even like you having yours. It's just your time is not your own. You're trying to figure that out. 
I don't have answers for all of that, church, but can I encourage you with the first place to start is a commitment. We don't like commitment in the church. We like to make it as easy as possible. Serving kids one times a month, like if you get sick, we can replace you. It's low commitment. Just come a little bit, but you know what? Commitment adds value. When you're committed to something, you buy into it. I stopped paying for people's books for small groups a couple years ago because I realized that if you spend $10 on a used book off of Amazon, you're more likely to show up because you spent your own money on it. You're committed now. Church, what I'd like to invite you to do is to show up to church continuously and frequently in person. Why do I have to do that now that we have a live stream? Why do I have to do that if, if I'm just so spent? Why do I have to do that if, if, if being there is just more distracting for me? It's hard for me to worship in public spaces. Can I offer this to you is that the most important thing we do in a Sunday morning is not the space that I'm speaking right now. The most important thing that we do on a Sunday morning is the gathering of God's people together. You do not need me in my 45 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it's supposed to be, stretch of speaking to guide you to the truth of Christ. You have literally thousands of people on a podcast or a YouTube page or your own Bible to lead you to that. I'm not downplaying the role of this preaching or teaching, but the importance and the development of your spiritual walk in life is the gathering, is being known and knowing people in and around you. Church, we are working together as a community to be a kingdom people, to see and pray honestly, God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done? And the easiest or most maybe basic step into that is consistently showing up. That's really as simple as that today. Again, this is not a guilt trip. This is not me pressuring you. This is an open invitation. If you, where you're at in your walk with Jesus, that's asking or demanding too much. You're still welcome here. I still value your presence and would like to get to know you, but I want to know you. And it's very difficult to know somebody that I only see a few times in a year. One of the reasons when I was youth pastoring that I valued conferences and summer camps was because in a two-day span, a one-week span, I got more time with kids than I got in a whole year of youth pastoring them. I got to bear all the fart jokes at night when I'm trying to get boys to sleep. And I got to bear all the fights and all getting on each other's nerves. But I also got pockets of moments where truth would come out. I got to speak to a student and hear really what's on their heart and got to share and engage with them. This may feel like a worthless practice to you. But you will be blessed by committing to continually and consistently showing up in person. Psalms 133 says it this way. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head 
running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. From there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I hope that you're not feeling this as a, a from the stage pressure as a guilt trip. If we sat down right now and I, I could lay out every single way that I struggle with being consistent to follow the way of God. I could lay out every distraction, every vice I use to numb myself to the kingdom of God, everything that I'm prone to genetically and history of my family and all those things. And I'm the paid professional Christian in this room. This is my livelihood and job. But I am just as vulnerable and weak, distracted and numb as any other person that's ever followed the way of Jesus. Church, our hope and prayer is that we grow into a community that values the kingdom of God, that works hard to connect to him and to each other and to our purposes and to hope in all of it begins with simply just showing up. In the post-COVID, this is not something just new to us. Every pastor, every person I've talked to, every measurable statistic, every expert in church, even secular studies of the nation show that church is on the decline. That attendance and baptism and salvation and all of those things are on decline. But again, plagiarizing Joseph, but God. But God had a way. I'm not despairing. I'm not despondent. I'm encouraged and excited about the future of Church in the Rock. And I'm excited to be here and live with you. I don't lie. I'm not playing it up when I get up here and say that I missed you. That I love worshiping with you. I worship with some amazing churches the past week. But I missed worshiping with you because you are my community. You are my people. And I am 14 minutes over time, but I'm going to take just one more moment to say this before we close together. Church, it's not what you get out of showing up. It's what you're bringing. If you come with a mentality of, will I get served? Will I get out of the worship? Will I get out of the message I need? You'll never be satisfied. My mom had a, a, a drug problem. She drug us to church. She drug us to youth group. She drug us. That's, I know it's well used, but it's worth it. We always showed up in church, and church for us was an hour away. And that is no way saying, go Josh, because if it was Josh, 12-year-old Josh's choice, I would have stayed at home, Jedi, played Jedi Power Battles on my PlayStation 1, and never gone to church. But my mom drugged me to church. Put on your best clothes, show up, two-hour service, lunch afterwards, an hour away, an hour back. It was a whole thing. But can I tell you that when I left home in a season of my life where I questioned God, never wanted to go into ministry, I still showed up at church. And my mom raised me that way. But can I tell you in church, showing up one day, I opened a pamphlet. It said, youth volunteers needed. I said, yeah, what the heck, why not? And it was saying yes to that, 
that got me into an internship and into the college I went to, and even then into a church called Church in the Rock that I started youth pastoring. I was in the back row of a church. I said yes to vocational ministry. It's in the back row of a church during a Sunday service that God confirmed to me to marry Amy. I have no idea what that pastor was preaching. But in the back row of a church, I had a God moment with him time and time and time again that shaped the trajectory of my life. I don't have it figured out. I don't know it all, but I do know that the most important thing is seeking the kingdom of God, keeping the main thing the main thing, not just making it a priority in your life, but the priority in your life, not just keeping God on the sideline when we need him, when we want him, when we feel like it, but making him the thing that we direct and reprioritize our whole life around. It's worth it to you because it's the only thing that will satisfy you. It's the only thing that will fulfill you. And it can start as simple as just saying, yes, I will show up. 